Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm flying solo to talk about Steven Soderbergh's new thriller, Kimmy. This stars Zoe Kravitz. It was released a few weeks ago and you can watch it right now for free if you have HBO Max. I absolutely love Soderbergh. I talk about him a lot on the pod, but we're always looking for more ways to dive a little deeper into certain aspects of his career. And when we did our top five films of 2021 episode, I placed his movie No Sudden Move at number three. And I mentioned that the movie was available on HBO Max, which it still is. And some of you watched it and let me know that you really liked it. And that is awesome because it's really good. And actually, a few of you who watched No Sudden Move told me that you hadn't even heard about the movie before our podcast, which is crazy because I suppose inherently the HBO marketing net isn't as wide as a movie that's released in a ton of theaters. And that really sucks because Steven Soderbergh has released a string of projects in a row that were, with one exception, they were all released exclusively on streaming platforms. And I don't think many people are watching them, so I'm going to give a little love to all of them today briefly. Steven Soderbergh, he's had one of the most interesting careers in entertainment, certainly in my lifetime. I'm not going to unpack it all here. I'd be here forever, all alone. I'm mostly just going to focus on the last five years of his career. But if you're wondering how Soderbergh goes from being one of three people ever nominated twice for the Best Director Oscar in the same year to now directing movies exclusively for streaming services. Here's how. Even though I'm going to focus on the most recent five years, there really are four main phases of Soderbergh's career to touch on. Phase one is kind of the dreaded follow-up phase because his first movie in 1989, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, is an indie smash. It premieres at Sundance, it wins the Cannes Palme d'Or, beating Do the Right Thing, and it completely ushers in this American independent filmmaking sensibility. And then the movies he releases immediately after that, he cannot find his footing with audiences. Things like Kafka, King of the Hill, The Underneath, Schizopolis. I really like some of those movies and I own two of them, but most people don't even know those exist. And Soderbergh is nearly done in Hollywood at this point. And one of the reasons I know so much about his career is because he's talked so much about it. This is this is a director, an acclaimed director, an Academy Award winning director who is not afraid to take the piss out of himself. And when he makes a movie that does not work on any number of levels, even the distribution of it, he'll call himself out on it. And he's always trying to get better and adapt and refine. And that's why these phases are easy for me to break up and point out. After Schizopolis, he's nearly done with Hollywood, with the system. And then phase two, one for me, one for them. Everything changes in 1998 with Out of Sight, which is honestly a perfect film and many still consider to be Steven Soderbergh's best. I, I've seen this movie so many damn times and everyone's great in it. Steve Zahn is incredible in this film. Following Out of Sight, consciously or otherwise, Soderbergh begins making one big film for a Hollywood studio and then the next year making one smaller personal film to fulfill his indie experimental tendencies. So after Out of Sight for Universal, he does The Limey for Artisan Entertainment. It is a great movie. He does Aaron Brockovich for Universal, but then he also does Traffic for USA Films. 
those were both in the year 2000, and those are the movies he was nominated for Best Director for. That's insane. That had not happened since 1938. That's insane. He won for Traffic, which is still my favorite Soderbergh film. And that's, I mean, he does that in one year, Brockovich and Traffic. It's nuts. The next year, he does Ocean's Eleven, but then the year after that, he does Full Frontal and Solaris. Ocean's Twelve is met with Bubble and the Good German. Sure, he'll do Ocean's Thirteen, but then he's also going to do Che, which takes us right to Phase Three, pre-retirement. I'd say Che is Soderbergh's biggest turning point to get to the career he has now. Soderbergh shot this massive biopic on Che Guevara for IFC Films. The material is the material is so big that he split it into two movies, and he shot the films completely differently. They're shot in different aspect ratios. They were filmed in different locations. They have different editing patterns. It's something that feels so Soderbergh because it's so experimental, but with a very big canvas. Benicio Del Toro plays Che in what could definitely be remembered as his best role. And Soderbergh makes this big thing. Its total runtime is over four hours. It costs $58 million. They shot it in Spain and Puerto Rico. The movie premieres at Cannes. Del Toro wins Best Actor. Critics like it. And then no one gave a shit. This was 2008, and I don't remember having a single conversation with anyone about this movie. And that's crazy. I, I remember the movie was released like in one major city at a time slowly. I got to see it in DC. There was no one there. It was just, it was really bizarre because audiences just simply did not show up for this. And this disheartened Soderbergh to such a point that he publicly announced that he is retiring from the business. And this is the year 2008. And in five years time, he will be out completely. I mean, he lays this all out in the press, like, I don't know how to play in the system anymore. I'm out. Five years, I'm out. You know, in fact, Soderbergh has admitted that Che was his last film, and every movie he's made since is a movie. It's a genre thriller to one degree or another. I love them all, but these are not movies that are trying to win awards, like The Girlfriend Experience, The Informant, Contagion, Haywire. I love Haywire. Magic Mike, which of course we covered in episode 39 on the pod, Side Effects, and Behind the Candelabra. These are all part of these pre-retirement films, these films in this I am out in five years package, because he made all those in five years. It's crazy. So then he's done. With movies anyway, he makes the nick for Cinemax in 2014 and 15. It's a great show. Definitely don't watch while you're eating at home. Good Christ. He shoots and edits Magic Mike XXL. Yes, he does. So he's still working. He's just not putting his name on any feature film. He's got the show, which he has very clearly packaged as a two-season thing. And he's doing work for friends, shooting Magic Mike XXL, editing it. But all of that leads right to this current phase we're in, which is phase four, post-retirement. So it's been four years since his last movie, Behind the Candelabra, and Soderbergh breaks retirement, thank God, and he has agreed to make the kinds of movies he wants to make on his own terms. And it seems like the best way to do that is to avoid the legacy Hollywood studio system completely. Logan, Lucky, and Unsane were first. They had tricky releases, 
Logan Lucky barely made its money back. And after like two weeks of insane underperforming at the box office, I remember Soderbergh just said, fuck it. And he puts it online. And all of his movies have been released exclusively online since. High Flying Bird and The Laundromat for Netflix. And Let Them All Talk, No Sun Move, and Kimmy for HBO Max. And in the middle of that, in 2018, just for the hell of it, he made an incredible interactive film called Mosaic that you can watch on an app made specifically for the movie. You can still do this. The app is out there. You download the app, and then you get to watch the movie in whichever, there's like three versions to choose from, three character arcs you can follow, and you always arrive at the same conclusion. It it was just a really cool way to watch something, and if you didn't want to do that like with the whole app, he put it up on HBO where you can watch it as a miniseries, and it's really damn good. So obviously this man does not stop. Now that we've arrived in this post-retirement phase, I'm just going to give some love to these movies quickly because I don't think they are talked about enough. First up, 2017, Logan Lucky. Uh, Actually, first up, keep in mind that for every movie I'm about to talk about here, Soderbergh directed them, yes, but he also shot and edited each of them. And he he doesn't just act as the cinematographer, he holds the camera himself too. That's why his output is so constant because because he can move so many of the parts himself he just keeps moving it's great logan lucky great heist film it's like the nascar oceans 11 with a flawless cast really breezy construction i love this thing he shot it intentionally bright with the colors just way way jacked up i love that he hasn't made a movie look this intentionally rich since and I don't mean that as a dig toward the other things at all we're going to talk about this he's done some experimental things with the look of his movies but this one is just so bright and lush and in your face I really enjoy it another one of my favorite things about this current phase of his career he's in is that he seems to have full autonomy over who he casts and he has such eclectic tastes like Logan Lucky has Channing Tatum Adam Driver Daniel Craig of course but then it also has Dwight Yoakam, Katie Holmes, Hilary Swank, who I hadn't seen in a while, Jim O'Hare from Parks and Rec. Love it. 2018, he releases Unsane, the iPhone movie. Soderbergh shot this entirely on the iPhone 7 Plus. It stars Claire Foy as a woman, uh, I guess, slowly losing her mind from a stalking situation. But we aren't actually sure if she is being stalked. It's, it's cool. It's well done. Joshua Leonard from the Blair Witch Project, he's in this. It's good to see him. Amy Irving plays the mom. It's her first time working with Soderbergh since Traffic. I love when he brings back character actors like that. I dig this movie. I only saw it twice, but I was incredibly impressed with the look of it. It certainly is not perfect, but it kind of proves that many of us have legitimate film cameras right in our pockets if it is used correctly it can do some real filmmaking damage. iPhone movie number two is High Flying Bird from 2019. He shot this on the iPhone 8, and I actually think this is more technically impressive than Unsane. One of the opening shots is this long tracking shot from the NYC skyline to a restaurant table, and they actually shot that in the Boom Boom Room where the New York, New York scene from Shame was filmed. And to be able to balance the exposure of outside with the table inside is, it's really difficult, especially on an iPhone. So I, I just kept being impressed by little things like that. 
The movie itself is about a sports agent in New York trying to navigate through an NBA lockout. This is definitely more of a talky Soderbergh film, but it was written by Terrell Alvin McCraney, who won an Oscar for co-writing Moonlight with Barry Jenkins. Moonlight was actually based on his play, so it's cool to see him working in other material. Andre Holland from Moonlight stars here. He's great. Kyle MacLachlan. I just love Kyle MacLachlan. Bill Duke, another great co-star. This one's on Netflix. His other 2019 release for Netflix is The Laundromat. This is probably the least seen of this crop of films, which is weird to say because it premiered on Netflix and stars Meryl Streep, Gary Oldman, Antonio Banderas, Jeffrey Wright, David Schwimmer, Sharon Stone. The movie is split into three stories all involving the Panama Papers, and my favorite story actually featured actors I hadn't seen much of before. It's the second story about the daughter of an African billionaire, and it's a perfect little short film. I'd say the laundromat of all these post-retirement films definitely feels like Soderbergh at his most playful, and I mean playful in the way that Full Frontal is, but now he has Netflix money to play with. And what Meryl Streep does in the end, like the very final scene, it's very deliberate in a way Soderbergh usually is not. And you will know what I mean when you watch it. It's a, it's a big, literal swing, for sure. Second film with Meryl Streep in a row, this one is Let Them All Talk from 2020. We mentioned this one way back on episode 20 in our top 10 films of 2020. <laughs> I love this movie. I've watched it a handful of times. Soderbergh put Meryl Streep, Candace Bergen, and Diane Weist on the operating Queen Mary 2 vessel and filmed them in a number of improvisational scenarios while the ship was in full motion. Small cast, small crew, shooting pure gold on a cruise ship. And I'm telling you, this movie packs a real emotional wallop that genuinely pays off if you stick with the whole movie. And this wallop comes as a result of two old friends crying and talking on the floor. It's great. And it contains one of my favorite performances each from all of those women that they've ever given. Next up, talked about this one a lot recently. It's No Sudden Move. This is a great throwback to 50s noir thrillers. I really love how much of this takes place during the day. It makes everything so much more unsettling. This movie has one of, if not the best cast from 2021. It's on HBO Max right now. It's a fun, twisty ride that is so much better with subsequent viewings because this thing is very layered with double, triple crosses. Its final 30 minutes are absolutely perfect. There, hmm, a new player is introduced in the game for the third act, and it creates this perfect circular mini-narrative, almost like within the movie, that pays off so, so beautifully. If you have seen the film, you know what I mean, but it just, it really, really sticks the landing. And this one is right up there with the best of Soderbergh's post-retirement work, along with Logan Lucky and, well, and Kimmy. So finally, here we are. We've arrived. I'm not going to give anything away, but before I say what this movie is about, folks, this thing is 89 minutes long and it cooks. It moves so damn fast. There is no stale shot. There is no wasted moment. Soderbergh loves technology. He loves cinematic paranoia. He loves casting these huge webs and then wrapping them up all nicely before the final credits appear. That's why I love this movie. 
This is not going to be an awards contender, and that's okay. This is just a genuine thriller of a movie. Kimmy is the name of a newer, better, somewhat creepier version of Alexa or Siri. And you know when you ask Siri or Alexa for something and they don't understand what you're asking and they offer up some bogus result that doesn't interest you and you just keep yelling at it? That's what Angela Childs, played by Zoe Kravitz, is paid to fix. She works for the company responsible for Kimmy, and she is tasked with reviewing these mistaken Kimmy requests and changing the coding of the software to make sure these errors don't happen again. So all day, Angela is just sitting at home listening to these audio files, these bad Kimmy requests. So what happens if she suspects that she hears something bad on one of the recordings, like an assault or a murder? And we're off and running. Another cool thing about Kimmy, actually another cool thing about Soderbergh is that No Sudden Move is set in the 1950s. Kimmy is set right now during peak COVID, and that is very much a part of the world of the film. Masks, fear of going outside, remote working, Angela works entirely from home, constant texting, Zoom calls, all that shit. And while we get an understanding of what Angela does for a living, we also get an understanding of her. She lives in this gorgeous loft in Seattle. She talks to just a few people. She stares out of her window at her neighbors. Soderbergh is planting all of these seeds that initially don't seem to matter, but then they really do, and that's why I love him. I love Zoe Kravitz, and she completely carries this movie. There's a great supporting cast as well. Jacob Vargas and Erica Christensen, both Traffic alums. That was so great to see them here. Rita Wilson, Robin Givens. Devin Rattray, old Buzz from Home Alone. I love him. But this is Zoe's movie. She fits right into Soderbergh's world. I hope they work together even more. You know, put Zoe, Riley Keough, Amy Zemetz, and Rooney Mara in a movie together. They've all been so great in Soderbergh movies before. I mean, that's a cast right there. I think he could pull, I mean, of course, I think he could get them all together. Get them in a movie. That'd be, oh my God, that'd be great. Kimmy is written by David Kep. He wrote Jurassic Park, Carlito's Way for Brian De Palma, Panic Room. He knows how to handle material like this. You know, when I was watching Kimmy, there's definitely a rear window vibe because, you know, if you're watching Neighbors, are they watching you? That deal. There's definitely some blowout. Brian De Palma's blowout starring John Travolta. It's a movie that relies really heavy on audio and sound and watching a person who knows how to manipulate all that stuff, all the software and then tack on Soderbergh's own side effects. And that's what Kimmy kind of feels like. It's like rear window meets blowout meets side effects. It's scored by Cliff Martinez. The score, the music is a huge part of Kimmy because for a lot of it, we're just watching one character alone and she's not, you know, talking to herself the whole time. So Cliff Martinez score, always really big when it's in a Soderbergh movie, Traffic, Solaris, Contagion. And of course, lest we forget, he also did Drive. Spring Breakers, The Neon Demon, Game Night. I love Game Night. That's it. Go watch Kimmy. It's short. It's fun. It's just a good damn time. Obviously, Zoe Kravitz is in a much bigger movie right now, The Batman, which I actually saw in an early screening on Wednesday night and liked a lot. And I liked her in it a lot. And, you know, honestly, I was thinking, should I do a mini episode on The Batman But I think a lot of people are going to see the Batman anyway, and good on them. You should. You should go see it. I'm just trying to give a little love to movies like Kimmy, smaller movies that could always use a little more attention. 
You don't even have to leave your house to watch Kimmy. But that's it for me. I really appreciate all the positive feedback I've gotten on these little mini episodes. I am going to LA for the Oscars in a few weeks. Nick and I are recording a bunch of episodes in person. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. Oh boy, we have some new stuff planned that we're going to, you know, just give it a try. So stay tuned for that. But as always, thanks for listening and happy watching. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com and we'll answer those on the show. Or find us on Twitter at wayw underscore podcast. Next time, we're going to do our first ever mailbag episode. So many of you wrote us so many great questions, and we are very excited to dive into them. Stay tuned.